You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. For 10 years, across a thousand episodes and a quarter billion listens, my podcast has elevated what you knew about the capabilities of your mind and body. And because we're at the 10-year anniversary, I'm evolving Bulletproof Radio even further in my plan to upgrade humanity. And I'm evolving myself as well. I invite you to expand your knowledge, explore your performance, and embrace your possibility with The Human Upgrade. You'll meet bright thinkers and radical doers who push the boundaries of science, technology, personal development, and human performance in every way imaginable. Every guest you listen to, every topic you learn about, Every new idea you discover on this podcast is there to move you forward. Join me on this next evolution to upgrade your mind, body, and life. And be sure that you're subscribed to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey on your favorite podcast platform so you hear every single episode. My commitment to you is that the time you spend with me on The Human Upgrade will always return more value to you than you spent on it. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Today, we're going to go deep on sleep. No, I did not plan to sound like a poet here, but if you'd like more of my ridiculous humor and one-on-one time with me, at least one-on-few time with me, check out The Upgrade Collective, which is my mentorship and membership group that has been so much fun. Every couple of weeks, I get together with everyone in our group and we learn biohacking. And I teach you all of my books and you get to be in the live studio audience for most of the podcasts. So Upgrade Collective members know more about sleep than the average person. And if you're saying, Dave, I'm pretty annoyed. I don't know how to sleep. This podcast episode is for you. And you might even want to check out sleepwithdave.com. (laughs) This is a gift for you, uh, which is me teaching you how to sleep over the course of a couple weeks. You're going to learn more in this episode than I've included in that sleep challenge. That's a gift where we're going to go very, very deep on some of the latest technology for sleep, which I'm really excited about. And our guest today is a international level competitive skier uh, from Italy who's raced cars across Europe and started two clean tech companies before he was 30. So this is a guy who's, I'm going to say, a high performer. And he also had a problem that's near and dear to my heart, like me as a young entrepreneur who really outperformed almost everyone, uh, is that I slept like crap. And this is a guy who had the same problem and decided to do something about it. His name is Matteo Franceschetti. And he is from Italy, if that wasn't abundantly clear by both his name and his skiing in Italy things. Matteo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Matteo, the reason I wanted to have you on is that you maybe were better than I was at figuring out that sleep was one of the things I, I sucked at that was a performance inhibitor for me. And you've started a company around sleep called Eight Sleep. Uh, Time named you a best invention for 2018 and 2019. So you've made some some trails in this. And given that sleep is such a problem uh, and that I, I've been working on my own with great success, you've put together a whole bunch of different things that I like all in one product. And I want to share your story with listeners and also your learnings along the way. Uh, which is which is really cool. And when I say a successful sleep company, your recent funding round, Series C, raised $86 million for improving sleep quality. When did you start 8Sleep? Your recent funding round, Series C, raised $86 million for improving sleep quality. When did you start 8Sleep? Yeah, we started in 2015 uh, with a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo. And at that time, we were really selling a, a mattress cover that was a sleep tracker. And we sold around 8,000 units just in pre-orders. So it was a pretty successful campaign at the time. And then from there, we kept building. To date, we have raised uh, $150 million total. And the last run was $86 million. 
That's impressive. And some of some people I know were in there, the Founders Fund guys, uh, Naval Ravikant, um, actually his brother was on uh, on the show here. Uh, so you, you've, you've attracted a huge number of investors. Why do you need that much money to fix sleep? I mean, how hard is it? That's more than I've raised for Bulletproof. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, hardware is hard and it requires a lot <laughs> yeah. of money, in particular R&D, supply chain, manufacturing. And then, I mean, the last round, we were also lucky. We were, I think, the, the right guys at the right place at the right time. And so there was a lot of demand. And, uh, you know, in hardware, it's always better to raise more than less. And so we took even more than what we, we really needed. Okay. I, I think you're wise to do that. You want to make sure you have some dry powder. Um, you're... You're just an interesting dude. Uh, so, okay, yeah, I'm race car driver, downhill skier, entrepreneur. Oh, and a member of the bar practices an attorney. So, are, are you one of those, you know, born superhuman guys who can just do whatever you want and and win? Or has it been a bit of a struggle for you? I, I mean, some people just seem like everything they touch just works. Are you that guy? No, it looks like that. You know, when you look from outside, it seems oh, so cool, all this and that. But uh, there are plenty of failures, uh, plenty of struggles. Um, but I like to, to try new things, right? I have a lot of energy, and so I'm always up for challenges. I, I have been a ski racer, but then I have been a tennis player from when I was 12 to 18. Then I raced with cars because my dad was a, a gentleman driver racing with cars, became a lawyer, and then finally I became an entrepreneur, which I didn't really know what an entrepreneur was, at least what a startup was, at least when I was growing up in Italy, but I ended up there. So that's pretty exciting. It is a a French word. And uh, all of Europe, even though it's a French word, all of Europe uh, was slower to the entrepreneur side of things than than the West, Um, even in the UK and all. It just seems like the entrepreneurial wave caught, caught on about 10 to 20 years later and sort of swept through Europe. So... Um, it seems like in Italy, the entrepreneur scene is is hot now, though, right? Yeah, it's changing. It just, Things are improving. Yeah. It's still really hard to raise money, at least compared to the U.S. And so even when I started, I was lucky that I was able to start a company that was immediately profitable. I don't think otherwise we would have been able to really become entrepreneurs, my co-founder and I. And so I was still working in a law firm. It was an international law firm. I was working until 10 p.m. there. And from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., I was working on my own company. I was not <laughs> calling it a startup. Um, and it took me a year to make enough money for both the two co-founders to have the salary for the following year. And then is when I, I, I jumped. Okay. Very similar to what I did. I was a VP at a publicly traded computer security company. And I, I started Bulletproof from 10 p.m. onward and took it out of my sleep, to be perfectly honest. I, I slept usually four hours, sometimes five hours a night for the first two years of starting my company because when I left uh, Trend Micro, I was able to replace my salary from my own company and keep it running at least at break even. Yeah. Uh, so, and then I raised a bunch of money as well. So you, you did that same thing. Do you regret doing that now? I mean, you were burning the candle at both ends. Uh, was that the right choice for you? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I love my job now. Um, and it, there was a funny story at the time because my mom didn't want me uh, to to quit uh, my career as a lawyer. And of so, not. yeah, no, she was, oh, you're doing well in the law firm. It's a great law firm. Just keep going. And now you might become a partner. Uh, this, this thing of entrepreneurship doesn't make any sense. Uh, but then I did it. Well, you're, you're not alone there. My... Um... My in-laws, who are uh, European, my, my wife's parents, they still think I'm unemployed uh, because yeah. I'm not a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's that. <laughs> Entrepreneurs uh, yeah. are, are foreign to the way of thinking that most, most people's parents or grandparents grew up with, but, and that's fine. My mom still um, tells uh, her friends that I'm a lawyer. So if she introduces <laughs> me to someone, she says, oh, Matteo is a lawyer. Says, okay. He's a lawyer who raised like a hundred plus million dollars for his startup, but he's a lawyer, right? So, and, and that's okay, right? We don't, we don't do what we do as entrepreneurs to make our parents happy. We do it to make stuff that you couldn't buy. Um, you could have done anything. Two clean tech startups, okay, attorney, sports, already successful, and you chose sleep. So how did you know that sleep was the thing for you, given you apparently were sleeping well enough? I mean, <laughs> look what you've done and that it was the right business for you. So what were the signs that sleep was the thing? 
There were two things. So on one side, as a as an athlete, I have always been into recovery, performance, and rest. And so I wanted to improve my sleep quality, right? As you were saying, my, my sleep was not working. I also used to have a lot of restless legs. And so in the middle of the night, I wake up multiple times. So the quality of my sleep was not good. Second, as I, as I realized there was a problem in sleep, I started wondering why there is no technology. Elon Musk is taking me to Mars. I have technology in two-thirds of my time. And then I go to bed. I pretend to stay there for eight hours and wake up refreshed refreshed there is no it doesn't make any sense and so that is when i started looking into into the space and with my co-founder we built the first prototype in a garage and we we had the pajama party we called some friends they came and before the end of the night one of our friends gave us a 25k check and said i would like to invest in this startup but we didn't have a company we didn't have even a name Um, and that is when we realized well maybe we should really work on this and uh, that is how everything started. What year was that? Uh, 2000, late 2014. Okay. So this was the very early days. I'm going to walk listeners through some of the innovations in sleep monitoring, and much less, I'm going to call it sleep interventions, which is what Eight Sleep does. Uh, we'll actually do monitoring and interventions, but those go together. So you go way back in the day, pre-2010, we had this quantified self-movement, which was, hey, let's get a bunch of data off the human body. But this was oftentimes a little bit of the, the, the coin collector or stamp collector mentality. Look, I got a bunch of data, but I don't know what to do with it, but it's really cool because I can draw this pretty graph that shows my sleep. But you're sort of a victim of your sleep. At least you have a picture of how bad you're sleeping, but there wasn't a lot to be done about it. And then you start saying, well, you know, maybe if I have less beer, uh, maybe it'll change things. You could sort of look at these things, but you, you didn't get a clean signal. So then a few companies came out that were looking at that. I was a co-founder and CTO of Basis. This was a, a wristband company that was uh, purchased by Intel. First guys to get heart rate from the wrist. And we had primitive sleep scores that came only from heart rate. And, and as you know, that isn't that good. So then I started sleeping with uh, a thing on my forehead, this really attractive headband, not attractive at all, um, from a company called Zio that's also defunct. And I've been tracking my sleep for now almost 15 years, I would say 99% of nights um, to see it, see what I'm doing. And when I started out, uh, I was getting about five hours, or sorry, five hours, five minutes of deep sleep and five minutes of REM sleep in an average night. And no wonder I felt like crap. <laughs> so uh, as it is today, using all of the stuff that I have, uh, including uh, eight sleep, uh, I get usually an hour and a half to two hours of deep and an hour and a half to two hours of REM. And I've been sleeping an average of six hours and 28 minutes um, over the past since from that system about 20 so I think that's since 2016, uh, that, that number is. So really almost exactly six and a half hours. And what I've learned is that you can compress sleep time. So you need less sleep. And a study came out two days before we're recording this. I don't know if you've even seen it, that said sleeping more than six and a half hours a night leads to negative neurological uh, performance. Did you see that study? I, I just saw the headline. I didn't go through it completely, but yeah, I saw this study. And, okay, so the evidence is out, and I, uh, people yelled at me, and I'm, I'm hoping that my first blog post, which would have been about when you guys were starting, would, actually it would have been probably 2013, uh, when I said, guys, 1.2 million people can't be wrong, the biggest sleep study ever shows that sleeping eight hours a night, you die more than sleeping six and a half hours a night, which appears to be the peak for longevity. And, and since then, I would say at least a dozen studies have come out that says healthy people need less sleep. And what I now understand, and this is very recent, from looking at your work uh, and looking at uh, some work on my next, uh, the research for my next book, which is not about sleep at all. But it turns out that the effectiveness with which you do something seems to be the primary driver, not the amount that you do it. So running a long period of time isn't that effective versus running really fast for a brief period of time. <laughs> so if you're a rock star, high quality sleeper, you need less time, but the value you get is actually better 
than if you had had the same amount of good quality stuff over a longer period of time. So it's like bursts of performance seem to be what makes people high performers. Um, how many data points have you gathered with Eight Sleep at this point? Yeah, if we step back for a second with our mission and also our name, right? The reason why we are called Eight Sleep is because we really want to compress sleep and move away from this concept that you should sleep eight hours. Um, and our whole vision is, okay, how can you compress your sleep? In particular, how can you keep a deep and REM the same, but substantially compress all the inefficiencies of your body in transitioning across all the different stages? Um, and when you look at medical evidence, right, the temperature is the big elephant in the room. It's the one that has the biggest impact on your sleep performance. And so what we see in our data is our customers, they fall asleep up to 20% faster they can get up to 40% more deep sleep. And this is also reported with other... Uh, okay, I'm going to pause for a second there. 40% more deep sleep. And I get questions every day in the Upgrade Collective on Instagram and, uh, and more recently on Telegram, where it looks like there's actually open conversations happening uh, without censorship. And it's uh, quite often, how do I get more deep sleep? Because people are recognized as soon as they get any sleep tracking system, they go, oh my God, I suck at it, but what do I do? And what you did is you built something that has the tracking built into the mattress so you don't have to recharge anything, but it also controls temperature and some other stuff as well um, so that you're able to do something about it. But, but if you're listening, I would say half of people uh, who are listening to this have a problem with getting enough deep sleep every night. I'm making up that half, but that's just from talking to people. From your data, what percentage of people have a, a problem with deep sleep? It's probably more than half, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and and it's the number one request. How can I improve my deep sleep? That is the first thing everyone asks for. From your data, what percentage of people have a, a problem with deep sleep? It's probably more than half, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and, and it's the number one request. How can I improve my deep sleep? That is the first thing thing everyone asks for. Uh, all right. And how many data points do you have now? Like how many nights of sleep have you measured people's sleep? Oh, several millions. Uh, several million yeah. sleep nights worth of data. Okay. So yeah. you're a credible source because number one, you yeah. believed enough to quit your, your job as an attorney, which made your mother proud. Uh, and <laughs> you... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you started a company and you've gone all in and some people listening, usually the people with a, a narcissist problem are going to say, well, you just did it to make money. Guys, entrepreneurs don't start companies and stay up all night long starting companies to make money. Yes, we get paid for it. We do it to make stuff you can't buy and to make something, to do something that matters. So you believed in it enough to do all that stuff. And that in and of itself says you know something and you believe. But if I combine that with a science side of a couple million uh, or several million, probably more than a couple um, nights of sleep data, okay, when I ask you questions, they're coming from a believer passion side and from a science data side. And I want to focus on the science data side because you and I are both we'll call sleep evangelist. I mean, so is Ariana Huffington, who's been on mm -hmm. the show. So many people um, who are friends, Jim Quick talks about sleep. We all talk about sleep as being something important, but what to do about it, uh, okay, you know, don't have dinner late at night, stuff like that. But to actually go in and, and tune the knob, explain how you're getting data from people when they're sleeping um, with the, the pad that goes on their mattress and then what you're doing to change it. So kind of walk me through data gathering, what you can see, and then walk me through what you do after you see it. Yeah, absolutely. So as you were saying, our product is, is a cover that you can install onto any mattress and you can retrofit it. The cover um, has uh, multiple sensors embedded in it. We use a, a technology called uh, ballistocardiography. So it's like sleeping on a, a stethoscope, oversimplified. Um, and so we can pick almost anything, anything about your heart rate, your respiration, and your movement. And through these three factors, we can infer sleep. So we are within one heartbeat per minute compared to a medical grade EKG. So we are extremely accurate at tracking your heart rate. And again, you don't have to wear anything. You don't have to charge anything. Just go to bed as you did last night. Okay. Um, in the future, we will be able to see cardiovascular diseases. Uh, we will be able to see sleep apnea and snoring, 
but by com combining all these factors together with movement, we can provide you with all the information about your sleep. So what time you felt asleep, all the sleep stages, percentage for each of these sleep stages, number of hours slept. Then what do we do? So for us, data is just the starting point. It's not the ending point because historically customers always say, oh, all this data is really cool, but so what? The so what is the intervention that is you were mentioning at the beginning of the episode. And so based on your sleep stages and based on your biometrics, we uh, adjust your body temperature during the night. And it's not that we are reinventing the wheel. Your body is already changing temperature during the night. It's part of your you know, physiological process. So we just enhance that process during the night to maximize your sleep performance. And so in the first part of the night, when you tend to have more deep sleep, we cool you more because it's proven that a colder temperature has you know, a bigger benefit or a bigger impact, positive impact on your deep sleep. In the second part of the night, particularly while you are in REM, we try to provide you what is called thermal neutrality. So when you are in REM, you want to be in, a, in an environment that is neutral from a temperature standpoint. It's not cold and it's not hot. And the reason is while you are in REM, your brain deactivates all the temperature controls in the body. And so it doesn't let you fall into REM if it's too hot or too cold because you could potentially die. Um, and so changing the temperature based on your sleep stages and the different stages of the night is fundamental for to maximize your deep and REM um, stages. How many hours of sleep per night do you think you can save people by just changing temperature? So if without temperature control, I set my thermostat to uh, whatever the whatever the middle of the road is in the US, it would be 72 Fahrenheit. In Europe, it's whatever, 20, 21 centigrade, I think. Um, so um, let's say that, that I just have that pegged. I'm going to get some quality of sleep in eight hours. If I'm using the eight sleep algorithms that change my temperature to lower it in that first half of the night, how much less sleep is the average person going to need to still get a good night's sleep? Yeah. Let me start with some stats proven by okay. our numbers. So our customers, they can fall asleep up to 20% faster. They can get up to 40% uh, deep sleep. They get up to 40% less toss and turns and up to 30% less wake-ups. So we don't have a hard number yet of how much we are compressing your sleep um, in terms of minutes or percentage. But if you start putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, you understand that there is a substantial improvement in your efficiency. The end goal, what I always say in the interview is, can we compress it down to six hours and get in six hours the same amount of rest and recovery I used to get in eight hours? One of my ultimate fantasies is what the Russian astronauts uh, used to do. So the, the Russian perspective on biohacking is awesome um, because, and just in terms of mindset, there's a downside to this, but they kind of look at humans as as meat robots. And if you're from Russia saying, that's not true, there's a deep Russian spirituality. Yes, there is. I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to, to um, say anything negative there, but the engineering space program military perspective there is, oh, um, what if we could have our astronauts only sleep two hours a night? We could send less astronauts into space and we could use less fuel. Wouldn't that be a nice economic savings? Yes, let's hack sleep like crazy. Right, and then the same thing with pilots. Oh, uh, what what if pilots just didn't have to breathe? Then we wouldn't have to pressurize airplanes. We could make more airplanes. I mean, like just the mindset is so different from what we have in the West um, that they tend to do things. So the dream there has been, you know, what if we could use electricity and who knows whatever else and get sleep down to two hours? So I'm going to just raise my hand and say I'm all over that. Given that you've got a few million, a uh, few million nights of recorded data, you have an incredible advisory board. A professor of biology is at Stanford and Harvard and UPenn and you know all the all the people who know what's going on Mount Sinai. When you put on your 10-year, 20-year future hat, given what you know at eight sleep, how little sleep do you think someone could get by with on a regular basis when we've just pulled out all the stops? Everything you could think of in your wildest fantasies. What is the number? I think a, a, a reasonable but bold case scenario is really to go down to six hours to me. Just and six reason, hours? 
I think so, because based on what we see is you don't want to be too aggressive on compressing deep and RAM, right? And so a good proportion of deep and RAM is 25%, call it out of the eight hours. And so together they are four hours. Then what you can compress is all the rest, uh, which is really you know, the, the, the sort of light sleep. Um, and so if you can cut that in half, then instead of four hours, that would become two. And so two plus two plus two, that is how you get to six. What if you could do all three of them at the same time? Like heat up the top half of the body and cool the bottom half? Have you guys ever played around with stuff like that? Like, I, I'm not satisfied with six. Come on, Sleep yeah. has all the data. You guys have to be able to get me below six. Come on. Even um, in 20 years? So w- I think there are other ways, for example, at least what we are exploring, right? So another area that we are exploring that is close to sleep, but it's not exactly sleep, is how can we also manipulate other parts of your body uh, while you're asleep. And so think of uh, um, altitude tens. Uh, And so we reduce the amount of oxygen that will increase the blood cells in your body. And by the time you wake up and you're exposed to the right amount of oxygen again, you will feel re-energized. Other areas for sleep that we are exploring is light, uh, noise. Uh, There are some studies that prove that playing certain sounds while you are in deep sleep increase the quality and the depth of the deep sleep. And then I think there is electricity, as you were saying. So there is some brain manipulation uh, that might happen in the future where you will be able to trigger certain phases or stages faster. Um, I have had a few nights where I was using some old Russian tech for sleep that runs current over the brain where I woke up after two hours going, I can't believe I feel like this. Like, like I, I feel like I got a full night's sleep. I'm not sure that that wouldn't give you cancer and heart disease if you did it for 20 years. But in a pinch, it, it seems like there's some stuff that's out there floating around the edges. But the what you're painting there is a, a future for eight sleep where you're able to continue saying, how do we squeeze more out of our sleep, which I think is really good. And, and the point isn't necessarily to get less sleep, but it's to live more, right? So if, if you just right. got everything you needed and it was as good as what you have today, but you had enough time to do two hours of reading or learning every day or meditating or parenting or whatever else, it's not about working more necessarily. It's just about living more. Exactly. Right? Yeah. We want to, it's something we always discuss internally. We want to give two hours back every single day to you that you can invest in whatever you like the most. I would not have started the six companies that I've started and written all the books and done all the podcasts and all the stuff that I've done. And I think a pretty substantial volume had I had to get eight or nine or 10 hours of sleep. And there were times in my life when I had fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue where I could sleep 10 hours and I still felt like crap. So I, I, I am living proof. I think you are too. How much sleep do you get every night? Mateo, what's your number? Yeah, it's around eight hours and a half right now. Eight and a half? Don't you know that raises your all-cause mortality? What's going on, man? <laughs> you more something? I, I need to readjust it based on the latest studies. Do you feel a deep sense of shame over getting that much sleep? No, I feel <laughs> just great. Then I can push all day. I, I, uh, I love it. Uh, by the way, sleep shaming is the latest trend on social media. Yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah. I'm kidding. Um, there is no moral um, moral superiority to sleeping more or less. It, it's that if that's what your body actually requires, um, it is at the higher end of the spectrum. Uh, but if it's what's working for you, I mean, look at the results you're getting, right? Because you, you feel great all the time and that's yeah. what your body needs. Yeah. Talk to me about what you've seen with data uh, from eight sleep, just because you have all the monitoring built in, so you get it every single night. Um, what is uh, what do you learn about consistency of bedtime? Yeah, consistency is still a big problem for most of the customers. The biggest swing is obviously during the weekend, so yeah. people tend to go to sleep two, three hours, you know, later, and they wake up later, and so that is why they struggle so much on Monday morning because substantially they jet lag themselves for two days and now they pretend to go back to the original routine. So one of the things I always tell our uh, users, one of the most important things you should do is just to be consistent. Even if you go to sleep later, you know, when, when on Saturday night, just still wake up at the same time over and over again. And I got to a point where my body just wakes up at the same time every single morning without the alarm. You know, I love it that you you mentioned that. And that's something I haven't talked about on the show before. 
Um, when I decided, geez, this was before I had kids, so this had to be like 14 years ago. Uh, I decided that if you wake up early in the morning, like, like ridiculously early, clearly you're a better person because that is part of the sleep shaming culture that we have. The early bird catches the worm and all that. By the way, guys, the reality, the early bird works for the late bird. That's how the world really works. I'm kidding. Um, so we have biology that drives our wake time. So I decided, I, even though I am wired to be a night owl, um, that's my my biology. I, my bedtime for my entire life until the last couple of years when I wrote... Um, fastest way I figured out how to hack it. My bedtime has been 2.04 a.m. When I'm left to my own things, every night I go to bed at 2. And I get all my writing done between 11 and 2. And it's this amazing magic time. And no one bothers you. And there's stars and moons and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I have a job. And I have now I have a family. And, and it's kind of a problem if you're going to sleep in a whole bunch. So I did what you recommended, Mateo. I said, all right. I'm going to set my alarm for five and I don't care if I go to bed at two, I'm going to wake up at five. Eventually I'll be so tired. I have to go to bed earlier, even if I don't want to. Okay. And I did become for two years, a 5am wake up guy. And I, and I did it. But at the end of two years, I, I was like, I'm less creative. This is, I've pulled it off. I, I've done it. I'm unhappy. It's not natural. Uh, and so I, and then I had kids and at that point you have no chance of sleeping regularly anyway for a couple of years. So um, I quit, but the only way I could achieve that after a lifetime of trying was your advice that you got from all the eight sleep data, which is wake up at the same time, even if you don't go to bed at the same time. So that's a core piece of sleep advice that that I haven't shared in my books or on the podcast before. So I'm I'm happy that you highlighted that because I hadn't actually seen that in my own experience either until you just brought it out. So the joys of millions of nights of data. What about meal timing? So you're Italian. You're supposed to have dinner at like 9.30 at night, right? Yeah. I adjusted that too. Um, I, I made a couple of changes. So let's, let's talk about meal, alcohol, and caffeine. First of yes. all, I mean, alcohol has a major impact. And what you don't realize, or at least I was not realizing a few years ago, is you feel, oh, now, no, I relax my mind, so I will sleep better because I'm a bit loser because of the alcohol. But the reality is when you look at your metrics, and particularly HR and HRV, now they are all over the place. So HR goes up, HRV goes down, and so the quality of your sleep is worse, and you don't realize that. So I completely cut alcohol. I didn't have alcohol for the past two years and a half now, um, and it's massive. The other big thing is the meal, as you were saying. Uh, there are a couple of things that have an impact. First, the time of the meal. So the best would be to have at least three to four hours, to eat three to four hours before going to bed. We see a lot of our customers tagging late meal, and we see correlations with the drop in the quality of their sleep. Another factor that has an impact on the quality of sleep is carbs. And so... What we see is that uh, people tend to fall asleep faster if they have carbs, but the quality of the sleep during the night and also their heart rate change in a negative way. So heart rate gets accelerated and sleep quality drops. Oh, this is interesting. So is this any carbs or is this like a sugary dessert? What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body. Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. And also their heart rate change in a negative way. So heart rate gets accelerated and sleep quality drops. 
Oh, this is interesting. So is this any carbs or is this like a sugary dessert? That is a good question. We don't have that level of detail. Um, so it could be both. Um, but yeah. Um, it, with all the data that I've seen it's in myself and, and with working with people on sleep, it, it seems like having some carbs at dinner allows you to make serotonin, which then gets methylated to make melatonin. And when people yeah. are, are on a no-carb diet, you know, keto, for more than a couple of weeks, their sleep quality seems to go down. It's, it's the keto trap or the fasting trap because cortisol goes up. Right. So there, there's got to be some time of day. And I know it's not morning when carbs are, are good. And it seems like it's dinner, but it's not a spike in blood sugar that you'd want. And what my, my dream here is that at some point down the road, you're going to have this amazing set of data about sleep from eight sleep. And then maybe we get our, our levels, blood sugar data. And you guys meet up in a, at a conference somewhere with machine learning people around and say, what if we mixed our anonymous data and just found the keys of humans saying, oh, you know, this, this anonymous person had blood sugar levels like this and ate this kind of stuff and had this kind of sleep. And we put it all together and go, oh my God, it turns out that everyone should have you know, two grams of pasta at dinner. And if we do that, world peace is achieved. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know that that we quite have that much data, but do you see a world where this is going to happen? Q1. This Q1 <laughs> is going to happen. We're already Spoken like an entrepreneur. That. So tell me yeah. what's happening in Q1. Uh, We're going to start um, pulling in all the data from all the other devices. Uh, so any device that is connected from up with Apple Health or even not, could be Levels, it could be Garmin, it could be any wearable. And uh, we are we are building a pretty large uh, data science team, and so the idea is to start working on insights and correlation between the data from day. It could be fitness data, it could be nutrition, and correlate with your sleep quality at night, and also your heart rate, your HRV, and respiration at night. And so, obviously, by the time you start, then you need time to analyze the data. So call it six months after is when we will know if it's 2%, 5% or 15% carbs that is right enough to help you fall asleep, but without having a negative impact on your sleep performance. So we're going to get that data. And it yeah. it's a big challenge. I, I wrote, in fact, I funded Bulletproof in the very, very early days before I had any venture funding. Um, I wrote... A, it's called a, a blue book for hedge fund managers and investors about biohacking mm -hmm. and saying, what are the investment opportunities that are going to happen here? And then I flew around and presented that and, and talked to, to investment managers. And I painted a picture where what you're proposing there is, is going to happen. And the, the scary part is that we have this thing called the exposome. And I just mentioned that in a podcast the other day. And it's, it's a word that most people don't talk about. Uh, we talk about our you know, genetics and our genome, and we talk about epigenetics, but we never talk about the exposome, which is the entire sum of everything you're exposed to over your life, including glyphosate here, in, injections of whatever you uh, didn't choose to inject over there, uh, or all sorts of things that you don't even know you're getting exposed to. You know, the cycle of the moon, uh, just everything in, in the universe. So it's like a, a life-size map of the universe. And even with your data science team, you know, well-funded company, like how do we know which variables we don't know matter? And I, I feel like we're to the point where we're over that first hump where the data is now being gathered, but it hasn't been brought together. And you know, Apple Health and Google Health are working to bring it together. And I totally trust Google uh, to just use all my data only for my own good and to never use it against me. Um, because they would never do that because you know they're Google and they're nice people. And it says right there, be evil in their um, in their strategy, right? Um, but uh, maybe on the Apple side, there's a little bit more privacy. Uh, we'll see if they adhere to that. Um, but you're going to then take your own set of data, which is private, and how are you going to be able to mix that with people without kind of giving away the farm, which is always the big concern. I mean, the, 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 the interesting thing is, as you were saying, I think phase one of, so phase zero of the self and all quantified people was 10 years ago, right? Now, I think for the past five years, multiple devices collected a lot of data. So we finally start having data. 
And then the next phase of the industry will be to start analyzing and correlating this data, which is what we are doing. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, for us, the key is to really start discovering what are the correlation, even because they are really, really personal. That is another they thing are. I don't like when when you read on the book, uh, oh, you should sleep at this amount, you should sleep <laughs> at this temperature, you should stop eating at this time. It's completely different, right? I'm, I'm on a keto diet, I fast, and I, I use you know, CGMs and my wife as well. And I noticed that fasting for me works really well, while instead for her, it's terrible. And her glucose level of the drop way below the, the minimum, right? And so you understand that when you hear people saying, "Oh, you should be fasting," it's bullshit. You might, you maybe you and yeah. I we should, but someone else shouldn't. Everything or, or they should fast life. for twelve hours, not twenty-four hours, and exactly. maybe they should fast in the middle of the day, not the middle of the night. I mean, we, we just don't know. To your point, yeah. but you have the data to know. Yeah, and I'm, and so we want create we want to create a personalized profile, health profile for nutrition, fitness, and sleep. Now, do you have people who sleep? Okay, full disclosure: I am a biohacker, and I have worn four different fitness trackers at the same time. A lot of people um, who are friends and followers are are constantly looking at at multiple data sets. So I've got to ask you, because I've talked about Aura. I mean, I'm wearing an Aura ring on here. Aura is a fitness tracker. It also does sleep tracking, right? And it's pretty darn convenient, but I do have to charge it. And it I don't think it has the same amount of data that you can get from an embedded sensor in a bed. And it certainly can't change the temperature of your room or anything like that. Do you get people who get data from another sleep tracker and then compare it with a mattress? Have you done studies? Do, do we know that your <clears throat> do we know that your eight sleep mattress pad tracker is the highest quality data? Have you compared the other ones? Is there a good enough level? Like tell me why I would want to go with an embedded sensor on my mattress versus one on my finger, my wrist, my necklace, or whatever the heck else insertables someone's gonna come up with somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So we we compared ourselves multiple times to medical grade devices. So we we respect Aura, we respect other wearables, but really, no. The 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 the, the gold standard is, is a medical grade device. And so compared to a medical grade device like in EKG, we are within one heartbeat per minute at detecting your heart rate, which is a, a core piece of them detecting sleep. Uh, the same is happening with respiration. We run analysis against polysomnograph. What you, you, you know really well is the best way to really detect your sleep would be through EEG, through your brain waves. So yeah. only through brain waves, you can really reach gold standard accuracy. Um, the advantage that we have compared to some of these wearables are a couple. First, obviously, the user experience. You don't have to wear anything, charge anything. Uh, I, I wear any device you can think of. And <laughs> you have like six of them on right now. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really annoying at night because I put my hand under the pillow or sometimes my blood pressure, you know, my fingers becomes a bit bigger. And, and so you have all that kind of problems that you don't have with us. But the biggest so, so advantage... you have to do something every day with any wearable. You have to put it on or you have to charge it or do whatever. And when it's yeah. on your mattress, you never have to do anything. It's, it's invisible. Exactly. And okay. the other big advantage is this, and you will see over time, we have a lot of space and our price point is higher. So for us, adding a sensor for five bucks doesn't move the needle in our margins, while instead wearables, they don't have the space and they don't have the margins to do that. And so what you will see in the next year and the following is that the amount of sensors that we will embed will start being 10, 15, 20, 50x more than what a wearable can do. We are working on technologies for body scanning. So in three, five years from now, when you're asleep, we will be able to scan your body. And by the time you wake up in the morning, it, was, it would be better than going to your doctor for an MRI. So that is how we leverage space and price and how we will gain an advantage from a health standpoint. I absolutely believe just having used, I think every sensor on the market and been a CTO of one of the companies, so I, I think I'm credible here. Having a platform of the entire bed surface, you can get better data than you're going to get in, in most other ways, other than maybe blood oxygen levels. So it's hard to get that without like shining a bright light through the skin. 
So I, I'm with you there. Just the, the granularity of the data will yield more results than you're going to get anywhere else. So kudos on, on that platform. The only other guys who did this approach that I've seen were the Bedit guys about, oh, eight, nine years ago. The company's out of business, I think got acquired somewhere. But when I got to use one of those for a while, I was really impressed with the data you could get. And there's a tiny fraction of what you guys are getting with modern sensors and all. This is a, a much older tech. But it just speaks to that notion of if you have the mattress pad, you have so much to work with. So I'm I'm with you there. I got to ask one other question that I know listeners are paying attention to. You know, Dr. Mercola has been on, we've talked about EMFs, right? And all bedrooms have some degree of electromagnetic frequencies there. And when people say, okay, if I'm sleeping on an, on an active sensor, you know, what's the, what's the load on the body? Is there a load on the body? Do you guys do EMF sensing? Yeah, great question. So first of all, our technology comes with a hub on the side. So all the Wi-Fi connectivity, and we just connect to your Wi-Fi. Is not that we create new, new, new waves. Uh, is sits on the is side. it Wi-Fi or is it a Bluetooth? It's Wi-Fi. We connect to your Wi-Fi. There is no Bluetooth. And can um, I wire it with Ethernet if I want to? Not in the current product. Okay. Is that something you're thinking about? Just having a wired connector? Yeah. Okay. So Got it's it. something we're exploring for the future. Then when you think of the cover, obviously you're not in contact with the sensors. Uh, the only sensors is, again, this, uh, what is called a sensor street where we use ballistocardiography. It works with a very minimal amount of energy. It's less than a, way less than a USB of what a USB power could, could drive. Uh, so you're really talking about a very minimal um, EMF impact. So it's minimum EMF that's touching the body. EMF drops off with, uh, or the strength of the EMF drops off with a cube of the distance. So it drops off relatively rapidly. Um, a lot of listeners um, have definitely heard the advice to turn off uh, Wi-Fi at night, but you guys have Wi-Fi on. Are you transmitting constantly or is it an occasional blip? It's occasional in, in chunks of the night is when we transfer the data back to, okay. to the server. Um, what and if- again... Yeah. What uh, if the Wi-Fi is, is turned off in the house at night and there isn't connectivity? Do you still gather the data and upload it in the morning? Yeah, we can okay. we still gather the data and we can upload later. So so for people who are Wi-Fi sensitive or want to do that, the, the answer would be uh, you can still have the Wi-Fi off and upload in the morning. Is that going to change the wake-up algorithms or the cooling algorithms? or Are those built in or are those all cloud-based? So no, they are cloud-based. So it will have an impact on the automatic temperature adjustment. Okay. So the device would just follow the original plan. Okay, got it, the original plan. plan. So if you want dynamic adjustments, you need to have internet connectivity. And if you want the standard algorithms that you guys know work for the majority of people, then if your Wi-Fi is off, you're still going to get it, or if there's an internet outage or something like that. So it works Correct. both ways. Yeah, okay. and Got it. during the days when we readjust the temperature settings for the following night, so you will still get ninety uh, percent there. It's just a real time adjustment that wouldn't occur. Okay, got it. So um, some people are more sensitive uh, to EMF than others. Other people have no issue with it. And I would just encourage anyone who lives in an apartment building, <laughs> you're you already have plenty of EMFs. This probably isn't going to move the needle. If you sleep in the middle of the forest, that might be the only Wi-Fi source. So if your Wi-Fi is off in the morning, you do it and you wouldn't get the full advantage of the algorithm, but you'd get some of the advantages of the algorithm. Correct. Okay. Got it. Uh, and I'm hopeful that this is putting a little bit of pressure on you to allow people to wire it in so that then uh, they don't have to worry about it at all. Um, I wouldn't, I would have no concerns at all about um, the the EMS from the sensors themselves um, yeah. that are on the mattress. And part of this is that the return on investment for the data you're getting, it's so valuable and, and so precious, this data to know how you're doing and to be able to adjust it over time. It's it's actually really important. And so if, if there is something from the very low levels there compared to the world we live in, I don't think it's it's actually going to be anything that moves the needle at all. Uh, which is why I'm definitely a fan of of getting this level of data. So what else is affecting our sleep? You have this this intriguing data set that makes me uh, just kind of excited. We've talked about 
alcohol, we're at full alignment. Alcohol is just bad for sleep. I, it doesn't matter if it's tastes good or it enhances GABA or you feel like you fall asleep. It, it screws up your sleep. We know this. Um, a late meal screws up your sleep. Um, do you have data on lighting? We don't have direct data on lighting. I mean, we all know that uh, you know, um, switching to orange lights or wearing uh, blue wave glasses helps you to stimulate melatonin. Um, one area that where I'm seeing personally a major impact is uh, the time, um, at what time you train. So for example, yes. what I notice yeah. is if I do, um, if I exercise in the evening, uh, the quality of my sleep will drop. And the reason is you start accelerating your heart rate, you start changing your body temperature, so it will become way harder to fall asleep and the quality of sleep will drop. Um, and that is something I don't hear people talking about enough, uh, but to me it has a major impact. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's so cool that you bring that out. Um, I have a, a theory about why all these things affect sleep. And it goes back to you know, billions of years ago, mitochondrial evolution. And if you think about it, when the sun was right above us in the middle of the day, us being ancient bacteria, that was when we got a very strong, and I think our predominant timing signal is from light, right? And then the next thing is food availability. Because when the sun is up, there's the most algae to eat. So we're like, oh, look, it's bright and there's food. And it's warm, right? The temperatures are all there. Oh, and we move around a lot because we're eating and the sun is out there. So all four of those, probably in that order, are controlling our circadian genes and making sure that every part of the body knows what time of day it is. Because if your liver thinks it's daytime because you just ate, but your eyes think it's nighttime because it's dark, you have a mismatch and your sleep quality would go down. So then when you look at the eight sleep data set and you're saying, oh, look, People block not just blue. I mean, my true light stuff or true dark, the, the glasses are about all the different colors and spectrums and angles and all that stuff for light. Um, that's that, that sun signal. And then there's, as you said, don't eat three, four hours before dinner because it throws off the timing. And then you're solving the temperature problem, which is a major, major thing because if your body doesn't feel that the water that the ancient bacteria were made out of was bathing, if it doesn't get cooler at night, we miss that timing signal. And if we're crazy and we say, oh, look, let's exercise right before bed. We just told our body, oh, look, it must be daytime because I'm moving around a lot. But so when you line all four of those things up, it seems like that's when you get the highest quality of sleep. And what you're teasing out with your data from eight sleep is you're saying, how important is each of these? And the one that most people miss that's hardest to do is temperature. Because if I make it mm -hmm. cold at night, then I'm cold all night long and then I don't get enough dreams, right? And if yep. I make it warm at night, I don't get enough deep sleep and I might get more dreams, right? If it's not too warm, right? So yeah. you just can't do it. So I, I feel like doing all that together and they're saying, oh, look, here's the data on late night movement. It doesn't work very well. So let's go for a walk after dinner, but let's not go for a sprint. And, and like you line all those things up, you've nailed it. What are the yep. other sleep enhancers that you've noticed just from the data that people tag when they're putting their, their data into eight sleep? Two things that could be interesting for you. So one, I, I don't know if you know it, but 50% of the couples, they fight around temperature. So one of the major problems we solve is because, again, temperature is personal, and my temperature is different from yours because of metabolism, because of age, because of gender, whatever, 50% of couples, they have a problem there and so we help them there and so we can optimize the sleep of each member of the cup another thing we see or at least i see which is major as a sleep enhancement is what i call a thermal shock and so doing a sauna and an ice bath in the late afternoon it just kills me after that i sleep like a baby that, that night in particular, the sauna, I would say they, they, if you want to say an 80-20, the sauna is the most impactful. But if yeah. you can combine the sauna with the five minutes of an ice bath, it will just take the stress away from your body. Sometimes that is how I close the day. Then I have dinner, and by 9.30, I'm asleep, sleeping like a baby. Do you ever do that right before bed, uh, where you do the either the sauna or cold or both? I do a hot bath right before bed sometimes. Um, 
but the most impactful to me is let's say if I go to sleep around 9 30 10 I go pretty early to do a sauna like at six uh and then immediately after an ice bath then let the body rest have a healthy dinner and you go to sleep and it's amazing that's neat advice I've never heard on the show before. So do sauna followed by ice and then dinner. Um, I've I've seen a group of people who tend to do really well with a super hot bath or a sauna right before bed. And that's probably an endorphin thing uh, most likely, but then they sleep really well. But then their body temperature is elevated when it should be low. So they might get less exactly. deep sleep, but then they get better REM sleep. And But for people who aren't getting enough REM, that's probably really good for them. Uh, and yeah. then there's other people who take a cold shower, which you think would screw up your sleep, but it's dropping your body temperature. So then you're going to get better deep sleep and you're not maybe going to get as much REM sleep. Unless, of course, you have an eight sleep that then dials your temperature up and down. So then you still got whatever you needed to get. So, but, but your idea of doing it before dinner probably improves blood sugar regulation as well because it creates a stronger demand for either heating or cooling and heat shock proteins. So then you eat and you don't get a blood sugar spike, which also ruins sleep because when your blood sugar goes up and then it crashes in the middle of the night, you get a cortisol spike. So, okay, I'm, I'm loving that advice and I think it makes great sense. Uh, and it makes sense in the model that, that I use for figuring out how to improve someone's sleep. This, this is really cool. Um, yeah. And the thing about sleeping with someone, if you're not sleeping with someone, you know, in the recreational sense of the word, uh, but you're actually sleeping, sleeping with someone, is it actually good for your sleep or bad for your sleep? Oh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's bad because it creates noise, right? There is movement. Um, the, the, the optimal would be, and it will be in the near future, to really sleep in an environment that is fully controlled and optimized for you. So the bed needs to have your own, no, your personal temperature. The air quality, humidity, and temperature needs to be personalized. Oxygen needs to be personalized. It needs to be completely dark. And to wake you up, there will be a simulation of the sunrise. This is how you should sleep if you want to maximize and get down to six or four or two hours. Uh, everything you said, I support 100%. But what does your wife think about that? I mean, it, what I tend to answer is, is this. If we could save two hours per night and use those two hours together during the day, is it way better to not sleep with me but have two hours together awake? What you're saying is supported by a study. They asked people across the U.S. whether they really like sleeping with a partner. And Texas, surprisingly, had the highest percentage of people who said they wish they could sleep alone, which was around 49% of memory serves, maybe 43. So at least half of people are saying, I recognize this, and a bunch of other people don't recognize it. I will tell you 100%, if I sleep by myself, I sleep better, right? So what uh, Lana and I do is we have separate beds, and both beds are large enough for both of us. So if we want to sleep together, we can. But on a normal night, when one of us is going to wake up and help the kids get ready in the morning or do whatever, and neither one of us wants to pull the cover off the other ones and all, all of that, it's not just about temperature control. So I think separate beds, if you can swing it, even in the same room, separate beds mm -hmm. are beneficial. Mm -hmm. But most people are saying, but but physical touch and all of that, you still have to get physical touch. But sleeping separately, if you get another couple hours of quality life and you don't wake up like a zombie, I would do that all day long or all night long, as the case may be. So I, I love it that that's your answer, yeah. In the meantime, since most of us aren't going to do that, having one of the eight sleep pads on the bed that has control for each half of the bed for each person solves the problem of temperature. So there's also less tossing and turning. You said 30% less. So that mm -hmm. means if you're yeah. like me, Lana will steal the covers or just pull them off of me. I don't know why she does that. She's asleep. Uh, but I don't like it very much because it wakes me up. And then you look at my sleep score in the morning and it's not good. And mm -hmm. so you solve that problem with separate covers, which we've done. But if you have separate temperature regulation and separate covers, that seems best. So we're getting kind of into the nitty gritty of sleep, but this is what people are asking about. This is what no one talks about. Like, oh yeah, make it dark. Yes, make it dark. You already said that. I already said that. We all believe that. But if your partner kicks you in the face, it doesn't matter if it's dark. <laughs> so um, what, um, what's going on with your app, your sleep OS? Uh, does that, does that, 
work if I'm not sleeping with the pad because people travel? Uh, like what, what's the difference between the app versus the cover on the bed versus the hub that controls everything? Yeah, so right now they're all tied together. Okay. Uh, so you, you, you need all of them. And then there is a, a future where we will start supporting you even if you're not sleeping on the pad. Um, the end goal, again, is to compress your sleep and save your life. That is how we pitch our vision. What if you could sleep only six hours and get more rest than when you were sleeping eight hours? And save your life is how can we scan your body while you're asleep? Because if you go back to the first principle as an athlete and an optimizer, once I started thinking about compressing sleep, I say, but look, six hours is still a lot of time. What else can technology do for my body during the six hours? Because I don't want to waste that time. And that is how I started thinking about the body scanning. And maybe there will be rejuvenation or other activities that we will be able to deliver while you're asleep. What if you could wake up fully refreshed with your skin looking great every morning? Yes, we're wasting six to eight or more hours a night where we're only sleeping and we're getting low quality sleep. So step one, get the highest possible quality sleep in the time you got in bed. Step two, you know, can you get a, a an oil change, get your tires rotated, uh, your windows cleaned, or whatever the heck else needs to happen to your body from a biological perspective? So you wake up and you're like, all right, this was better than I could have done, and we are absolutely going to get there. Um, yeah, are, are you worried? 100%. Are you worried about like a, a future where you know everyone has a, a sleep capsule that looks something like like in the Matrix, and you know you you go to sleep in conductive gel that nanobots clean yourself and you know, it's a little bit too robotic. The, the way I think, because I mean, personally, I would love that. So, and, and <laughs> I cannot disclose too much, but I already sleep in something like that. But uh, I think in terms of product portfolio, and so there will be that product, and people like you and I will sleep there. Other yeah. people will not want, and they want to share with the partner. And so we will offer different products. Uh, based on the needs of everyone. But if you want you know, maximum sleep because tomorrow you have the big interview of your life, just get into the capsule and we'll take care of you. I think that this is inevitable. I think that it is something that we will want to have everyone on the planet have access to because when people sleep better, they start less wars and they feel less hate and they're nicer to each other. This is fundamental to being a good human is being able to recover as much as possible. So I, I think we want to put this, first of all, are you ready for this? In prisons. If we did not have a prison mm-hmm. industrial complex where people make money from creating suffering in other people, which is evil and must be stopped, um, then what we would do is we'd say, you know what? Let us fix your sleep so you can be less violent and then you'll have a little bit more energy. Oh, and we'll fix your food too. So that you can actually learn whatever the heck it is you didn't learn that led you to end up in prison in the first place. Like we could actually help people recover in the deepest sense of the word recovery. And that may happen, but this is the world that we can create by fixing sleep. And the first step is getting the data. And the second step, which you're doing an admirable job of, is doing something with the data. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And instead of yeah. doing something now, which is I get all my data and I go, okay, based on all this, I'm going to choose to do this. I'm going to plan to do this. I'm going to do this, do this. All the doing is my work. But when we outsource our doing to our technology and say, okay, I'm not going to do this because my bed is going to do this for me. The eight sleep stuff is going to do its thing. And I just know it's handled. So that means that my doing, well, let's say I got two hours a night back I was worried about my oxytocin levels. That means you can have two hours of sex every day, right? With your extra two hours, if that's what you choose to do with your time, right? That is more connection and more endorphins and more of the good stuff from relationships than almost anyone gets anyway and more than most people would want. So you're not going to be lacking human connection. You'll just get more conscious human connection, which I think is, is something that, that is also a side effect of getting higher quality sleep. You, know, you can wake up, you can cook breakfast for your partner because you had the energy to do it. So I, I'm a big fan of, of this idea. And it's very radical and very futurist to say, yeah, better sleep, less time, take the time, do something that matters with it. So Mateo, I think Age Sleep is doing really cool stuff, man. I, I appreciate you for doing it. Thank you. Thank you. No, and, and just to reinforce what you were saying, you will have more time, you will have more energy, and you will be healthier. Because sleep is a pillar, no, a fundamental pillar for your health. So in terms of health span, lifespan, 
will impact all that. Um, so you just need the time to execute, keep building, keep shipping new products. Um, what you see, I always tell my team, we are at 1% of our product vision. So every year you will see new products coming in. And the key is what you were saying is intervention. Data is not the end point, it's just the starting point. Technology needs to do the job for you based on your data because sleep and health, they need to be personalized. I'm with you there. And guys, you know the rules. Anytime someone comes in who's building cool stuff, I always ask for a discount for you. You can go to 8sleep, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com slash Dave and use code Dave. They'll save you $250 on a system. This is the highest end that you can get in terms of all of the data that you're getting and all of the interventions that you can get with it. So it is definitely going to be more expensive than a risk-based tracker or something like that. But you're getting changes to your sleep environment versus just measurement of it. So remember the rule from Game Changers, uh, the, the book, it's track what you hack and in this case, it's tracking and hacking stuck together. And you're going to see more and more companies coming out saying step one was to figure out what was going on. Step two is to do something. 8sleep is at the very forefront of that movement. 8sleep.com slash Dave and save some money. If you want to get the nitty gritty on your sleep and then figure out, okay, I got an hour, maybe two hours a day back. This is pretty worthwhile. Guys, I hope you learned something about your sleep. There were two things in here that I haven't talked about before in this interview about sleep that are, are interesting and data-driven. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will see you for the next one. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.